Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 79 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's topic is keto paleo. So we are going to be talking about all things real food and both words, keto and paleo, are things that I am a big proponent of and Becky and I use in the Naturally Nourished Clinic. You know, we typically take an ancestralized approach to health and real foods, non-processed whole food ingredients in therapeutic forms to heal the body. But what is the overlap of the two? And what are the strengths of keto and the weaknesses of keto? And where does paleo fit? And at what ends can you see imbalance with both keto or paleo? And how can we intersect them in the most positive ways? Yes. So if you started out paleo and evolved or became keto, or if you're just getting burned out with your food choices and feeling in a rut, I really think that this episode is going to speak to you. We brought on our guest nutritionist and author Vivica Menegas to share inspiration from her new cookbook, The Keto Paleo Kitchen. And I think this is definitely a food-centric episode for us. <laughs> we often get so deep into biochem and geeky science that I think that this is one that you may not need a notebook unless you want to take recipe tips <laughs> and flavor combinations. Um, but we do talk a lot of concepts that will help you to make peace in your dietary choices. We do talk about some strategies for marrying the two concepts. So, you know, if you started keto and you're trying to learn more about clean eating or less processed ingredients or removing those artificial sweeteners, this is a great thing to listen to. Or like Becky said, if you started paleo and you're starting shaving down those carbohydrates, this might be a good tip. And also learning that the intersect will be defined differently for you based at your stage of your journey, you know? So that's where things like carb cycling might come in, or that's where someone that is keto and transitions into low glycemic or vice versa. Um, and today I think we talk about approach with both micronutrients and macronutrients to find synergy and peace with both terms, keto and paleo, and how you can get the best of both worlds with a variety of flavors and textures to make it a sustainable lifestyle change. Yes. So a super yummy and recipe packed episode for sure. I'll go ahead and read her bio and then we will welcome Vivica. Vivica Menegas is a certified whole foods nutritionist, blogger, published author, and one of the leading voices advocating for a food-based approach to healing. Tracing back to her Italian roots, Vivica is a passionate foodie whose love of food has been shared with millions through her blog, The Nourished Caveman. As a former food photographer, she spent years immersed in the LA restaurant scene photographing and eating some of the most incredible fine foods. Despite having adopted a paleo approach to eating for many years, there were still some nagging health problems that she was dealing with. So looking for answers, she stumbled across the ketogenic diet. It was love at first taste. 
Combining this with her existing ancestral diet, she crafted her own template for eating, which is now coined Keto Paleo. This is a therapeutic approach to eating that utilizes the healing power of foods to address the incapacitating symptoms of many lifestyle diseases that have plagued our modern lives. And we're excited as you guys are listening, she will have already launched her new cookbook, The Keto Paleo Kitchen, which has a bunch of awesome recipes that we'll get into within today's episode. So let's bring on Vivica and get this party started. Welcome, Vivica. Thank you so much for being on the Naturally Nourished podcast. Thank you, Ali. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. Oh, yeah. We're pumped to have you on here to talk a little bit about your new book. But before we do that, I'd love to learn more about how you got where you are today. So where you were pre-keto, how you discovered the ketogenic diet, and what's changed for you in your body and your relationship with food since that discovery? Uh, so I uh, started, I was studying nutrition actually at the time, and I kind of naturally evolved from studying Dr. Weston Price and following, you know, the nourishing principles of his, you know, GAPS diet and whatnot. And then that kind of evolved into paleo, and I was using a paleo diet with the patients and um, working for a practice. Um, so I was just kind of living and breathing like nutrition and, and paleo diet. But there was this moment, the famous moment of rude awakening at some point, because I thought that I was really, really healthy and doing great, you know, doing everything right. But at the same time, I wasn't feeling quite right. And I was gaining weight and gaining weight. And I couldn't stop gaining weight, which was really unusual because I'm usually a thin person, like kind of naturally. And at some point, I came across the ketogenic diet in my research. And I started testing my blood sugars myself. So first thing, I discovered that I was pre-diabetic. And my blood sugars were not only way up there, but bouncing all over the place, very unstable. And so I was really shocked. Um, and from that moment, I kind of dove into the ketogenic diet because I immediately made the connection between, of course, the, the foods you eat. And, you know, paleo sometimes, it's a wonderful way of eating and I strongly endorse it. But at the same time, it can be quite, carb intensive you sure. know and a lot of people don't restrict carbs or sweets at all and there are a lot of really delicious paleo sweets and honey <laughs> and maple syrup you know and I lived at the time kind of on a homestead so we had fruit trees lots of peach trees and cherries and <clears throat> so every summer I was eating you know a lot of fruit and I just didn't understand what was going on with me until I found the ketogenic diet. And it's quite interesting how even in my studies of nutrition, and I think I got a really solid kind of nutrition education based on the foundation, the fathers of modern nutrition in America, but there was no mention of these metabolic issues. And I think that what really is something that jumped out at me and I've been pondering ever since is that in the last 40 years, things have drastically changed for the population in America, especially as the sugar, sugar consumption and carbohydrate consumption has increased steadily and dramatically, our metabolism has changed. 
and is kind of broken at this point. You know, there are a lot of serious damages to metabolism that were not kind of under the radar of the doctors that created, you know, the course of studies and is like amazing foundational knowledge of nutrition that was created at like maybe 40, 50 years ago. So it was a whole different scenario. What we're facing today is very different. And so that's where the ketogenic diet came in for me because I saw it as, you know, the best natural tool to kind of reset and heal metabolism, as well as like using as an amazing therapeutic diet, if done properly, of course. Um, You know all about that, Ali. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. And so it's so, it is so true that many of the recommendations on the medical field, and of course, our listeners are well-versed with flipping the uh, food pyramid in many ways on its, on its side and discarding it because we know that hypoglycemia and blood sugar drops or irregularities, um, as well as hyperglycemia and elevated blood sugar driving type 2 diabetes and so forth, both ends of the spectrum of dysglycemia or blood sugar instability can be driven with excessive carbohydrate consumption and especially as we call them naked carbs. Like you said, just eating the fruit on its own and Mm -hmm. not having a pairing of ample fat and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that started really my full on immersion in ketogenic diet. And this was about four years ago. And at that time, there was no talk about keto around, like in the media or also on the internet. Um, most people, like I was, I was already a blogger, so I started out being a paleo blogger. And right. there were maybe three people in the blogging world who did ketogenic. And, you know, I think it was Jimmy Moore, Marie Emmerich, and maybe a couple of other people that never became known. Right, (laughs) And so we started out really like an investigation and like for myself, using myself as a guinea pig, I remember I started following Dr. Diagostino and his work about three, four months into my research into the ketogenic diet. And, um, but it was still very specialized into cancer and, you know, ketogenic diets for cancer. And at that time, I think Jimmy Moore was still low carb. It wasn't even keto yet. Right. And and then Maria Emmerich, she was pretty much the only one that was like full power keto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, I think also her diet and her way of eating ketogenic has drastically changed in the last three years. Because I remember coming from a paleo standpoint and looking at what she was proposing. And I was like, I can never eat that. It's just full of dairy and a lot of processed foods. And I can just not do that. So that's how Keto Paleo came about for me because I just could not do conventional keto. And I remember going to a keto conference and being like with all these doctors and nurses that did ketogenic for epilepsy and especially in infants and young children with untreatable, untreatable seizures. And like looking at the kind of products and the kind of menus right. that they were recommending. And I think I got probably my first 10 gray hair that time. (laughs) (laughs) I was appalled. It was like canola oil and trans fatty acids. And for babies, I Uh kind of almost ran out of there screaming. Although, you know, something good came out of that because I met the maker of Ketonics, the breath meter. 
and um, started using the ketonics, which was a really good thing when, um, you know, back then there was not a lot of ways to measure your ketosis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but then I started, you know, really forming this idea in my head of what is a therapeutic ketogenic diet that will work for me, first of all, because dairy really didn't work for me anymore. And I I had to cut it out. And I was feeling a lot better without dairy in my life. But then when you want to bring in this extra fat content to your diet, you really have to come up with some ingenuity of how to do it without the dairy and on a, on a clean, very clean diet that I was eating as well. Sure. So Vivica, let's talk about the main differences between the keto diet and the paleo diet, and then how you married these concepts to become keto paleo. So I know you mentioned not doing dairy. Is that right? You don't do dairy? Right. I, with one exception, I do use butter and, um, I, in most cases, I am fine with butter in my patients. I will test it occasionally. Like if I know somebody has a you know, distinct dairy sensitivity or even an allergy, then we're, I'm definitely going to eliminate butter and go strictly to like coconut oil or, you know, animal fats. But strict paleo, you know, here we're going into a kind of gray area, I think, because Paleo is a pretty big umbrella. And at this point, because it has become so popular as a way of eating and a lifestyle, I think that the edges have really expanded. I was recently reading Michelle Tam's book. She's got a new book out. And um, I was reading the preface and she's talking about doing potatoes and rice on paleo. Right. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. if that was five years ago, people would have been like screaming at her. <laughs> Because, you know, we started out like things evolve and diets evolve and lifestyles evolve. And I think that is absolutely perfect and, you know, appropriate because we all are just trying to do the best we can. So I know that we cannot put like if we put really strict boundaries to the way that we eat and, you know, there's got to be some boundaries, but they can be too strict because otherwise you're going to end up failing and beating yourself up and not just giving it all up and and throwing the baby with the (laughs) bathwater. Well, and I think that goes into a, a, a question of now with keto, the concept of carb cycling. Do you incorporate that personally or in your practice? I actually do. So sorry, let me get back to the previous question real quick. So what is keto paleo for me? Um, For me, what it really means is from the paleo side, it means to eat whole foods, real foods, unprocessed foods. I think my one exception that I make to that is um, I will use uh, erythritol sweetener as little as possible, but in some recipes, it's really like a perfect substitute for sugar. And, you know, I tested both with muscle testing and with blood sugar testing for a lot of patients. It seems to be okay. So that is my one little exception to paleo most of the times. Um, But otherwise, I really try to just buy stuff that doesn't come in packages and make the staple of people's diet and my therapeutic diet um, things that do not come in packages. They're fresh and you can buy them from your farmers and they're local, they're organic. So for me, that is the base of paleo. And then ketogenic, like, honestly, I think that 
in the wider term definition of the term ketogenic just means restricting carbohydrates up to a point that the person will get into nutritional ketosis. So anything can be ketogenic. It's a really wide definition. It's just like ketogenic means very low carb, moderate protein, and large amount of fat. So you can apply that to almost any way of eating. There are people that are vegan and are trying to do ketogenic, you know. So I just apply the ketogenic ratios to my lifestyle and way of eating, which is based on the paleo diet. Okay. Excellent. I love that. We at Naturally Nourished use this term real food keto, which I think is really hand in hand with everything that you're doing in your book and uh, speaking to. And it's interesting when we talk about the evolution of, like you said, these, these concepts and terms. And I remember back in, it was 2009 that I was running a clinic using what they were calling at the time a VLCD, a, a very low carbohydrate diet. And yeah. we talked about what ketosis is and we monitored for ketones and we talked about side effects, you know, the keto flu before that was a coined term and <laughs> it wasn't a thing, you know, but it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting though, because like you said, the concept in the medical field, you know, with me as a registered dietitian was that ketosis cannot be achieved without the use of particular shakes or products because it's just too difficult with real food. And I kind of went into that role kicking and screaming saying the only way I will run this program is if we can transition all of the participants after they've lost their first 30 pounds into real food only. So, you know, I would allow them at that time to use the shakes as a starting point and to get mm-hmm. their bodies keto adapted and then learn about, okay, now what, what is a fat bomb? What are these foods? How are these nourishing? And it's a huge doctrine breakup from, like you mentioned, the standard American diet of fat being demonized to knowing that fat can fuel optimal metabolism. And now come almost a decade out, you know, we, we have an eat fat, get skinny ebook and fat is all the rage in the last five years. So now these words and these plans and programs are coming out of the woodwork. And I think like you mentioned, Vivica, with paleo, we'll see the same thing with keto, which I get concerned about, which is the fringe foods, you know, all the Mm -hmm. products coming out, all of the stuff. And so getting back to, I think this idea of, of real food keto or keto paleo is a beautiful thing because it's, it's, it's getting back to nature. It's getting back to real foods. It's, listening to your body and honoring what supports hormone balance and optimized metabolism and reduces that insulin resistance, which is one of the main drivers of dysmetabolic syndrome for certain. Yes, absolutely. No, I think we're very much aligned in our views and it must have been like really difficult for you. I can imagine as a dietitian because of everything that they teach you and, you know, just like the environment that you come from especially 10 years ago, right. you know, how difficult it must have been to be able to try to break away from that. Yes. Luckily at Vestir University, I was taught that cholesterol is an antioxidant. So <laughs> I was taught the correct things in my undergrad, luckily, um, and that helped me um, to get through the, the uh, program for certain of the RD mm-hmm. licensure. But mm-hmm. um, let's, so let's talk about that because I think that's a concept I use often in practice is that doctrine can create disconnect. So if you get too tunnel vision 
right? So, you know, a protocol and a program and macros and numbers are helpful to get your body into rhythm and to experience what, you know, it feels like to make ketones. And then during different times of our cycle, different times of the year, different times of stress demand, it may be more important to listen to the body than a doctrine or a rule or a guideline. And, and that's kind of where I'm seeing carb cycling fit for some clients. Let's talk about your perspective on that and, and how you use that. Yes. And you know, it's really funny. I have a big note here. I, sometimes I take notes, take notes when I'm talking with my clients and, you know, for ideas. And I, the last note I made just a couple of days ago, it says, keto is not a dogma, is a tool. Yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know, because people really do get all like, especially new prospects that come to work with me and they're like, I have to be strict keto for the last year or two years and under 20 grams of carbs. And for women, and especially women with endocrine imbalances, as you well know, that can be really damaging. Um, I think that there are instances where being strict keto for long periods of time is appropriate and beneficial. But in the special case of women, I think that um, just balancing keto with the carbs, with like bringing in certain kinds of carbohydrates to nourish certain processes of your body and specifically endocrine processes, it's of vital importance. So I started using um, carbs about um, about a year ago consistently, and that came, of course, from my research and constant research and seeing what other people are doing in the field. But mainly, it came from my own experience because I was pretty strict keto for about a year and a half. And then what happened is that my life was just turned upside down and inside out. And I separated from my ex-husband and then divorced. And I was kind of, it was all very tumultuous. So I was out of my house and my comfort zone and moved away from where I lived. And so everything got really hectic and I could not stay keto. So I had to transition back into kind of a low carb way of eating where I was eating still paleo, but, and of course I wasn't eating gluten or dairy, but I was still, um, was not able to count carbs or track or anything like that. And I was kind of eyeballing things, but there were moments where like, it was just, you know, survival mode, uh-huh. <laughs> how I usually call it. And what happened instead of me like getting worse or, you know, having more symptoms or gaining back weight, what happened is that I started feeling even better. I was at that time kind of still dealing with hypothyroid and Hashimoto's and those, all the symptoms of that. And then the moment, and I was working with my mentor, who is um, a doctor who specializes in restorative endocrinology, and we were working together with me as a patient, aside from me just learning from her. Sure. And because of my stress was so high, like I couldn't get better. And then after my divorce, and I started eating more carbs, and all of a sudden I started getting better. And I think I was doing some unintentional carb ups because it wasn't always high carb. It was like sometimes higher, sometimes I was pretty strict again. And so I saw that I lost more weight, I got more energy, and I started feeling better. And, you know, 
just all the symptoms. And then I eventually was able to get some blood work about a year later and my numbers had, um, got back to almost normal and my Hashimoto's numbers were pretty gone. So it was like this thing that clicked in my head and I started researching into it and I saw that, you know, the carbs are beneficial for like thyroid hormone conversion and also they're beneficial for um, neurotransmitters and for your brain and for the serotonin. So it just like kind of came back together and I realized by measuring my blood sugars that after one year and a half of keto, my metabolism was pretty back to normal. So I was able to tolerate carbs again. And of course, I did not eat sugar still, um, but I did occasionally eat some fruit and I did occasionally eat, I started eating yams and sweet potatoes again, and I started eating more vegetables. Um, and that worked out really well. So I, you know, out there, it's a big world out there and people do all kinds of different ketogenic diets. And also the carb up concept is not a new concept because with bodybuilders who were doing ketogenic like 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. there is this concept of refeeding and refeed day, you know, and also refeeding before the workout. So the replenishing glycogen stores. Bills, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But I had seen some pretty crazy, I guess, is the world's ways to do that with people that did it with donuts right. and with like, you know, pastries. And I was like, what, really? <laughs> so as I started reincorporating this concept and using it in my practice on patients, I really wanted to bring it under, you know, the definition of a therapeutic ketogenic diet. So when we do reintroduce carbs, and it's probably very similar to what you do, Ali, like I use, again, whole foods, I use vegetables mostly, some starches, sometimes resistant starches, depending on the situation and the individual patient. But I really like to use like carbs that will be helpful, especially carbs that contain fiber, because ketogenic diets tend to be a little low on the fiber side. Right. And I see right. that people will do better when they do have more fiber. So I don't say indiscriminately, just like, you know, adding the carbs back in because then it wouldn't be keto anymore. But once you have reached that state of keto adaptation and maintain keto adaptation for a couple of months, um, your body has a memory and like maybe you can share your clinical experience with me, but this is what I've seen with my patients a lot is that it's so easy then to stay in this like functional state of ketosis where you fluctuate in and out. And it's never, it doesn't have to be a high state of ketosis, but even in moderate or low ketosis, you can still reap the benefits of it. Your metabolism still is very happy. And then you can introduce the carbs to balance out the endocrine system and kind of feed that thyroid conversion and, you know, just also your energy in a way, if there is people who are right. very active and working out and use that glycogen and the fiber for the gut. So it's, it's such a complex, uh, you know, I, I always say that we are a chemistry equation, you know, not a calculator. And there's so many roles that go into effect of when we use 
carb cycling or carbohydrates to, to quote unquote, break out of ketosis. And it's interesting because before that term was created as well, um, in my, in my protocol, I had what I called phase one and phase two eating. So phase one eating was keeping carbohydrates less than 30 grams. Phase two was 60 to 75 grams of carbohydrates. And so it was still very low glycemic, um, still very low carb. And some people based on their body weight can actually stay in ketosis upwards of 60 grams of carbs. So it kind of depends. And this is people usually over 300 pounds, but it, it just depends. And um, so I was kind of doing this phase one, phase two deal with people without knowing it was a thing and thinking that then they weren't doing keto. And, and then when I kind of heard that this was a thing, I was like, oh, well, look, that's what I've been doing this whole while. And I think it is true, especially in women that are type A, uh, which many are that go keto because they, they like restrictions, they like rules, they like perfection. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to also be um, more towards, like you said, hypothyroid or adrenal fatigue. Um, and these women tend to be under eaters as well. And that's where really we see the suppression of T3 as an active thyroid hormone. A lot of research shows that caloric restriction is actually a bigger hindrance to T3 production than maybe carbohydrate, but it is a synergy and balance. And we do monitor in our practice leptin levels on a blood level. And so when leptin does get too low, you know, leptin hits that hypothalamus, which is that satiety regulator. And so if leptin gets too low, that's where with keto, often one of the signs you can get is this really organic hunger. For so long, you're satiated and all of a sudden you start to get hungry. That's a sign that you need to kind of refill that glycogen store and, and reset that button of leptin for certain because we can go from leptin resistance to leptin depletion very quickly. And that can, in its sense, throw off that whole stress access as well. And so over-restricting on anything, I think, can cause imbalance over time. And then there's elements like a lot of people don't know that the thyroid stimulating hormone is made up of glucose compounds. And so there's, you know, we use the term starving the body of glucose, but as, as you know, Vivica, and as Becky and I know, when we monitor our blood sugar, you're never at a zero in a ketogenic diet. And so mm -hmm. there's misinterpretations on all ends. And peripheral glucose is available for glands that need it, even in tight keto control. So I'm not as concerned there. And I like to see glucose levels regulated at lower values. But I think that there are benefits for women, especially of a reproductive age, um, with sexual hormone to help with carb cycling during times of higher gland demand, like ovulation and menstruation, um, can definitely be good times to place a carb cycle to support the balance of the body and not get into that amenorrhea hormonal imbalance. And the same thing can be done with the thyroid as we're monitoring it and watching it. But absolutely on board with starchy vegetables, fruits, whole food, and still keeping higher fat um, as far as our macro distribution is concerned so that the body can, within 24 hours, get right back in to ketone production. And um, we've been seeing very successful outcomes using that type of, a, of an approach. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think that, that there's no one size fits all approach. Right is so important to say here. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the nutrient misses or um, some of the potentials for nutritional imbalance in a tight keto approach and how keto paleo might solve this. So we talked about the fiber, but what about antioxidants, vitamin C, um, and some of those phyto compounds? 
Well, for me, yeah, absolutely. And also for me, one of the things that really gets in, missing in a strict ketogenic diet done the classical way, let's call it, is minerals as well, minerals yes. and trace minerals. So it's really important. And that's why, like, for example, in my book, I was really like careful, like people sometimes, you know, it's just another cookbook, <laughs> but I put a lot of thought and research in like trying to fill the book, every single recipe with nutrient packed foods. And that's really important, especially like whole foods ingredients and not buying just like the paste, you know, your curry paste that comes in a can that's made who knows where with, you know, who knows what ingredients, but being able to source your ingredients, use them fresh and try to get them as nutrient dense as possible so that we do get those phytonutrients, all like the beautiful medicinal compounds, like anti-inflammatory compounds of uh, spices and herbs. And for me, the minerals are really important, especially at the beginning, as you guys know that, you know, ketosis and alters your electrolyte balance and the way that your body processes electrolytes. And so instead of... Um, supplementing like we get sometimes and i do as well we get kind of carried away with supplementation because we want to make sure that everything is covered all the vitamins you know the minerals and this and that and you know then we forget that as humans as you know our ancestral design we are supposed to get our nutrients from food and i know that soils are extremely depleted and it's really almost impossible to get nutrients from fruit nowadays unless you grow it yourself. And it's even that it's not easy at all. But there is still like we can still supply our body with most of the nutrients through the food without having to supplement, supplement, supplement. Right. As much so, of a foundational as possible with food, food as medicine first. Right. And then we can pick, I always tell my patients, pick your battles, you know, so if I can use something like, you know, a lot of cilantro in all of my recipes and it's organic and it comes from, you know, local farmers and they can get it and then use it extensively, then maybe I don't have to supplement so much with potassium or like, you know, good, good avocados. Like here in California, we get great avocados, especially where I live. You know, so eat your avocados every day, then you don't need to supplement with potassium. And right. um, like I use a special kind of salt, which is a mix of salts that has a lot of trace minerals and it's sodium. So I use the salt as well as part of the food, you know, uh, for supplementing trace minerals. So sometimes we don't have to supplement with another tablet. And I love that. I definitely try to incorporate that philosophy in the book. And that's why it's kind of like my sneaky agenda, you know, to keep people nourished by eating good food and they don't even know it. And I think a lot of a place to start with that is, is in color, you know, getting a good amount of, like Becky said, phyto compounds and plant-based antioxidants. And when you loosen such tight doctrine you can get, you know, that shave of, I've, I've talked with uh, even um, Jimmy Moore and other people that are, you know, really focused on tight, tight control. You shave a little bit of cosmic carrot and you get that beautiful anthocyanin and carotenoid and you can stay within three total, not even that, three total grams of carbs of how much you add onto your salad 
but that vibrancy and that antioxidant, the cost to benefit ratio would definitely be in your favor, especially if you're eating within synergy and balance, that's not going to kick you out of ketosis. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, once you, you really go through the phase, it's kind of exactly like you were doing, Ali, with the phase one and phase two eating, and you start rebuilding that metabolic function, you know, and you lower the insulin resistance, which is very possible. It takes some time, but it's very possible. Right. And then you can also really play with more carbohydrates and the right kind of carbohydrates and all those nutritious foods. And now you can still stay in ketosis or again, like just fluctuate on that edge of ketosis that still has all the benefits for me of doing this kind of ketogenic diet. Awesome. So, um, it sounds like that, that salt, um, that trace mineral salt that you're using would be very interesting to us. Um, but I'm curious to know um, kind of what your signature flavors are or if you have secret ingredient or it sounds like sneaking in the nutrient dense foods is kind of your special approach, but tell us more about your, your signature flavors that you On a use. culinary level. Yes. yes. <laughs> Let's make listeners mouths water at this part of the show. <laughs> well, as you guys know, I'm Italian. So I was born and raised in Italy. And I think that definitely that Italian flavor even though, okay, I need to make a small premise here. For the average person in the United States, I don't think they have a very realistic idea of what Italian flavor is. Because unfortunately, like every place, you know, um, we eat the cuisine of a different country and it's always kind of translated through the local flavors. Sure. So the ingredients are very different here and you can't quite get the same flavors as in Italy. But in Italy, we have a very very varied kind of panorama of flavors. Um, and it's all based on fresh foods and local foods and a lot of different ingredients. There is a great variety of ingredients. Like in Italy, it's amazing. Like you'll go from village to village and you'll find like different kinds of meats, different cheeses, different vegetables, very different recipes. My mom just gave me a book from Italy an Italian cookbook that is like all regional food. And there are recipes from every different region in Italy and they're extremely varied. So I think that that is probably my number one anchor. Like I use a lot of garlic and rosemary when I cook meats, um, fresh herbs. I love fresh herbs because also of the nutrients that they bring and the phytonutrients. So I use a lot of fresh herbs. And, you know, as an Italian, of course, rosemary is always up there in my favorite. Uh, but then I'm also, you know, I traveled all over the world in my life and I am kind of in love with every, almost every local cuisine of every country that I visited. And I really like to kind of pick up some of the local flavors and make them my own. So I use um, some Indian flavors and spices because like turmeric and ginger, especially fresh ones, they're extremely medicinal and just delightful things to incorporate in recipes. I'm a huge fan of Korean food, so I sneak that in there sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, I try to keep it varied. Um, I think that one thing that happens for 
everybody, you know, we tend to get into our habits, we get into a rut a little bit, and then we tend to eat the same thing every day. Yes, yes. And, you know, you know very well know that when that happens and we eat the same foods every day, our body will tend to develop a sensitivity for those foods. So let's say if I eat eggs every single day, like three or four eggs, which from a nutritional point of view is not bad, but because especially if you eat the same brand of eggs, the chickens were fed the same kind of food all the time, and then your body will start not liking that. Because I think that by this genetic design, we're designed to have a great variety in the seasons and in the places we were hunter-gatherers. So we kind of went for what we found and it was always a little different. And so I try to really vary the scope and give people a lot of easy options. So we'll go from things like um, Thai-inspired dishes. I have this Thai meatball recipe that's like my favorite thing ever. <laughs> and, um, you know, just using like flavors from like Africa. I have a, a herbs and spice-infused butter that takes a lot oh. of the antioxidants from all these spices and is kind of an African flavor combination. Um, and then just like very simple Italian things from my childhood or things that my grandma um, made for me. And I'm just grabbing a book here because I don't even remember. What I <laughs> what did I put in here? And, and what about Vivica on snacks? I think that that's an often question that Becky and I get asked from clients uh, as far as that, yes, like food jag or burnout, you know, they're like, okay, if I have to eat olives and Marcona almonds one more day, which are both beautiful foods, but you know, right. something like that, or the hard boiled egg with mustard or the mm -hmm. Tom's beef stick, grass beef stick. What about snack ideas? Do you have two or three snack recommendations that listeners can mix up their snack routine? <laughs> Unfortunately, you probably ask the wrong person. We do all need to snack at some point, but I try to keep my patients away from snacks. When we, once we transition into ketogenic and into this lifestyle, I try to have people eat just three times a day right. so that your body gets the insulin reset in between meals. And that's kind of the way that our great, great grandfathers and grandfathers used it's to It's not eat. twice a day, Max, right? Yeah, right. And that becomes almost intermittent fasting at that point because you have those long periods where you're not eating. But um, I like the three meal idea. When I do snack, um, and I definitely use snacks for transitions because when you come from a high carb diet, it's going to be really hard to just like switch gears from like fifth gear to reverse, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so I do use snacks and, um, at that moment. And usually I find that in my personal experience and practice, I find that like red meat seems to be one of the things that anchors down appetite and blood sugar the best. So I will tell people like get some really good beef jerky that is there is like some brands out there like um, People's Choice Beef Jerky. They have this great um, un unsweetened beef jerky that is like keto friendly. And, uh, and it, you can keep it in your purse, in your car for a little period of time. So it's handy. And that's a good thing. And it also like has, lets you chew on it for a while, right. which I think is a really great thing when it comes to snacking. Because like, imagine you're snacking on popcorn or a potato chip 
it's like crunch, crunch, crunch is gone. And next thing you know, the whole bag is gone. But what you really want is that, you know, that satisfaction of, you know, chewing. And without that mindless, that for me is like mindless eating, which takes us into a whole other topic, maybe for another time. Yes, but yes, yes. You know, I try to teach my patients to bring back themselves to mindful eating. And sometimes eating is a stress relief. And so when you have things like a hard stick of beef jerky and, you know, it's like, like a dog when it's stressed and you give him a bone and he'll sit there for three hours and chew on his bone all happy. We are not that different as humans, you know, we still share most of our DNA with dogs anyways. (laughs) (laughs) But also, you know, that stress, stress relief property and society triggering properties like I find that you know either leftover from dinner so a piece of steak or the famous meatballs that I always recommend like just make a little bit more and then use that as a snack I love Um, that you know I try not to give a lot of processed foods options although sometimes we do have to reach for those when there is nothing else but it's always good better best (laughs) to get there and i know becky and i in practice use snacks as a delivery of a meal really which we call an adult lunchable (laughs) because for many you know moms working um individuals they they don't have time to that's constant the complaint is to sit down and reheat or whatnot and so you know really between meals the only thing we go for is sipping on bone broth and, or we actually use these um, tea tree toothpicks often in clinic because it's that same thing. Like you're saying that kind of gnawing, just that oral fixation thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that can be a tool, but I think for more textures and variety, sometimes making a meal out of a snack can work nice just so you have a crunchy salty and a briny and a, a savory and, you know, different kind of profiles there can work. That's right. I love those toothpicks by the way. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Uh, So let's, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit, Vivica, about your new book and maybe um, your favorite two recipes. I know you mentioned the Thai meatballs. Um, so those are probably in your top. Tell us but. a little more about those. Yeah. Do yes. they have you know a what? They, they might not even be in the book now that I read that. <laughs> <laughs> I am not sure because this has been my favorite recipe for a long time. And then, you know, with the publisher, the publisher really wanted mostly like unedited and published recipes, sure. um, brand new recipes <clears throat> just created for the book. So I think I might've had to leave that one out. Okay. <laughs> Over circulating. <laughs> on the blog, <laughs> but, but we'll put a link in our show notes then for listeners. <laughs> and we will put a link to the book as well. But yeah, tell us two favorites that are in the book. Um, probably one of my favorite ones going back to like meat um, is a straccetti con la rughetta, which is a very classic Italian dish. And it's funny enough, not from Milan where I'm from, but it's from Rome. But it's a super easy and super nutritious. Um, it's kind of like a, a seared steak that is just quickly sauteed with arugula. And that is for me is like a five minute lunch. I am, you know, I am so lucky that I work from home and my office is in my house. So I can just run to the kitchen, but I don't have more than 10 minutes. So I have to make myself something super quickly. And, um, but it's also something that it's 
could be made ahead and brought to work and you can okay. eat it cold without it being disgusting. It becomes kind of like a steak salad. Hmm. So that one is my, one of my very favorite. And then I got to say that the salmon Benedict um, on keto bagels, that is another one of like my favorite ways to start a day. It's kind of like a more of a weekend breakfast. Mm-hmm. but it's a fancy <laughs> actually you guys you know something kind of funny for me I thought this book has a lot of really simple recipes and then somebody left a comment on Amazon saying that these recipes were too fancy for them and <laughs> it was a one-star comment and I kind of took it as a compliment <laughs> I was like, well I'm glad my recipes are good but I really yeah. don't think they're fancy Sure, sure. <laughs> Depends on which ones you try. And like you said, on the weekend, that's when it can be your kind of artistic expression and you surrender to the kitchen and you're playing some good music and that's the event of the day. So it's fun to make it fancy at times too. That's right. Yeah. And I, for me, cooking is an art form, you know, so a lot of people see cooking as a chore. Yes. But for me, it's one of my main artistic expressions. I was listening to a lecture about, you know, the importance of art as therapy for stress relief and grounding, especially for people who work in the healing arts like me. And I think that cooking is my number one form of artistic expression. And I make it fun. And sometimes I leave a kitchen disaster behind, but cooking was fun. (laughs) Right, right, right. And even that, you know, as many times as you can reframe the I have to to the I get to, it it all makes it better. (laughs) I get to wash these dishes because I got to nourish myself. I don't know how how long that goes, but yes. All right. Well, we've learned so much. I think it's been really helpful, Vivica. Our final question that we ask all guests on the Naturally Nourished podcast is, because we're dietitians, what is your 24-hour recall? So yesterday being Sunday, from when you woke up to when you went to bed, kind of lay us out from rise to rest what you had to eat and drink. Wow, yesterday was not my standard day because I actually had a photo shoot for my new website and um, I needed to get some pictures of me because I I only have two shots of me in the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to run to town, but usually, so what did I eat yesterday? I usually have my fat tea in the morning and that is how I start every day. So I make a decaf tea with I use collagen and sometimes I use MCT powder. Um, sometimes I put ghee in it, sometimes coconut oil, sometimes a little bit of nut butters. I mix it up so it's never exactly the same. Sometimes I use this new amazing matcha powder from Perfect Keto, which is my new love. <laughs> okay. If I do caffeine, which I don't always do, it's like a kind of rare treat for me. Uh, so I had that. And then um, I was, I had to drive for about two hours, got there, started working and I didn't eat. Um, I grabbed the coconut water because it was really hot and I I felt like, you know, I wanted something more than just my regular water because I drink a lot of water. And I do my salt protocol in the morning, which is my special hydration protocol. I use uh, that salt, that trace mineral salt for it and drink water with it. And then I had beef jerky in my purse. 
<laughs> and so I ate a pack of beef jerky. And um, then I, I actually decided to not eat even though I was hungry, but I had it back home because I wanted to do some stuff. So I didn't end up eating almost anything else. And I think I had, let me think, there was something in my car because I keep emergency snacks in my car. <laughs> and sometimes like there is different levels of emergency. But <laughs> yesterday, yeah, I had a protein bar that I had stuck in my car like for like extreme emergency because I was stuck in traffic for two hours and okay, nice. on the freeway and didn't want to get out. And yeah, LA is bad like that. And then when I got home, I made another one of my kind of survival mode meals, which is I had baked a whole lang of lamb a couple of days before. So once we ate that night, I had the, the lag of lamb in the fridge and I was like just slicing from it. So instead of buying lunch meat, I usually try to roast a big piece of meat and then leave it in the fridge and every day I can slice off of it. So I had a half of avocado with the lag of lamb and then I ran out of mayonnaise. I usually make mayonnaise and I would have put mayonnaise on there, but I didn't have any. So I put ghee on there and then I used a piece of keto cracker uh, on the bottom and that was kind of like my sandwich for the evening and that was it. <laughs> That sounds good. Not many things make me happier than coming home to leftovers. <laughs> I yeah. tell you what. Yes. <laughs> I always plan for leftovers. And I usually, there are a couple of things that I always have in my fridge as well for emergencies. One is like fermented foods. So even yes. if I, I, you know, I had a couple of tablespoons of my, um, I make kimchi at home a lot because I like it. But if I don't, I buy sauerkraut. I may hate making sauerkraut, funny enough. <laughs> so I had like a tablespoon of that in my mouth when I'm crunching on it, trying to make my sandwich or my dinner, my leftover dinner. So that is always in my fridge. And I also buy this unsweetened coconut yogurt that is really great and is like super probiotic rich. And so that's another thing that if I don't have mayonnaise, I will throw some of that on my sandwich or, you know, um, I try to make either keto bagels or keto um, crackers, like I have the recipe on my blog. And those are kind of my lifesavers a lot of times because you can freeze them and then you can just heat them up in either a toaster or in the oven for a minute. And it's like also a great source of fiber. So oh, yeah. when, instead of having a salad, and I use, I'm a big salad eater. I usually eat at least one big green salad a day with like dandelion greens and dive radicchio and you know escarole like all those kind of different greens that i love excellent and today i just had my tea and um that's it until lunch awesome it's making us hungry over here i know, I know. <laughs> we have all of our clients we we mandate i don't know if everyone listens or we audit but two to three cups of greens a day for certain because i just think that's such a good wide scope support for like you said the minerals and then um, getting the variety of antioxidants and that fill that that many 
people need in the beginning, especially in transition. But all of this sounds so excellent. We will be sure to put a link to your mineral salt and the keto cracker and the keto paleo book. And congratulations on the nomination of Vesta, new book. It's so exciting by Paleo Magazine. I know, I know. Thank you so much. Awesome. And and it's a Whole Foods too. I just found okay. out like my photographer sent me a picture. It was like the book is at Whole Foods. And I was cool. like, wow, that's <laughs> even better than Costco. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. More target audience maybe. Yes. Awesome, Vivica. <laughs> thank well, you thank you so much for spending the time with us today and um, for joining us on Naturally Nourished Podcast. And we will be sharing your information with our listeners. And I think you've made all of us a little bit more hungry today. <laughs> Yay. It's good. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, ladies. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Vivica. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.